Hey everyone, it's Lisa Iannucci, and this is a special crossover episode between both of my podcasts, The Real Travels Podcast and The Right Start Podcast. My special guest for this episode is Katherine Parker Magyar, who is an extremely successful travel writer. And I thought that writers would want to know how she's accomplished what she did as a travel writer, and the travelers who listen to Real Travels podcast would love to hear what she's accomplished as a traveler, and of course, her interest in movies. Let's get started. So sit back and relax, because Katherine Parker Magyar is the guest today, and I'm going to just read a paragraph of her biography that you can find on her website, but it's so interesting. She writes, in my career as a travel writer, I've driven husky sleighs through Arctic forests in Finnish Lapland and sailed the Rio Negro to the heart of the Brazilian Amazon. I've practiced yoga with goats in the Swiss Alps and chased Alaskan king salmon off the shores of Prince of Wales Island. I've jumped into black holes of Belize and trekked across the most active volcano valleys (laughs) in the Caribbean. I've hot air ballooned above the Sierra Nevada and tracked rhinos in the savannah of the Maasai Mara, which I hope I'm not butchering that. That is absolutely amazing. But where has her work appeared? She has written for Architectural Digest, Departures, Forbes, The Week, Business Insider, Trip Savvy, The Daily Beast, Tasting Table, Elite Daily, Pop Sugar, Electrify, Brit and Company, Insider, Go Overseas, Quest Magazine, and the New Jersey Hills Media Group, and she is the Caribbean expert for Trip Savvy. Let's talk to Catherine Parker Magyar, who has been to six continents, 63 countries, and all 50 states. I do want you to keep in mind that Catherine talks very fast, so listen carefully or slow down the speed of your playback. Enjoy the interview. Welcome to the show, Catherine. How are you today? Good. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for being here. I I have never been more excited and nervous and all the feels for talking to somebody because like you're you're where I want to be in my life. You're doing things I want to be doing in my life. I'm jealous of you and and absolutely in awe of you. So this conversation is just I, I'm so thrilled that you said yes to come on my show. Thank you. Thank you. So I have an interesting first question to ask you, and it's based on something I was watching yesterday. And I thought, why is why didn't she ever do this? Why have you ever thought about going on the Amazing Race? <laughs> oh my god! You know what's funny is that like, and I love. I mean, I have my reality shows. I never watched the Amazing Race, but I also like just with travel, traveling in general. Usually, like if. I mean, I read a story probably 20 years ago about a hike in Tasmania, and I, like, I still need to go, you know, and I would, like, see things about, like, professional travelers or travel writers and be so jealous, like, how did they get there? It almost, like, incited anxiety in me. It was like, how do you get that job? I hate you. Which is funny, because when you were saying you want, it's, it was an interesting path, I guess, that 
that got me here, but I always loved to travel personally. And it was always something that was, I think everyone's like, oh, travel's my hobby. But I feel like for me, what I love the most about traveling is that I'm like endlessly curious. There's nowhere on the planet I don't want to go. But I really like meeting people from everywhere. And like the more different someone is for me, like the more I want to meet, you know, meet and have conversations. And that's what I think is so great about travel writing is that you could share. I think the people are always the story and a lot, like a lot of my favorite stories that I've written have really been about people in different places like the Amazon or the Arctic or... So that's always been really cool. See, that might that might be the problem in you going on the amazing race then because you have to move quickly and even though you're really good at all of these skills, you're going to want to stop and talk to everybody and you can't do that. You got to get to the million dollars, you know? <laughs> I, yeah, I found though that like the easiest way I feel like to stay safe in a way when traveling and also to like get to where you're going is to talk to talk to people, talk to those, get someone on your team. Or like if, even if you're in an airport, you know, I've had so many, I mean, I pretty much lived in, you know, the departures terminal for two years and just like, I don't know, striking up a human conversation. You don't know. It could have, it could have been my edge. (laughs) That's true. That is true. Um, well, let me ask you, you're, like I said before, you are absolutely so fascinating. I've spent so much time reading all of your articles and the things you've done. Where did all of this come from? Did you want to be a writer first? Did you want to be a traveler first? Did you fall into this? Tell me a little bit about how you got here. Yeah, so I mean, I've always wanted to be a writer, and that's what I set out to be, was always to be a writer. Just from when I was a kid, like in fourth grade, I remember my fourth grade teacher commended like a dweeby poem I wrote about the rainbow, and it was just like something that I always felt that good at, and I think it's hard when people are like, I want to be a writer, am I good or not? And for me, I you know, I went to college, and I got my, um, at Hobart Williams Smith, I got my honors thesis, American poetry, a lot of poetry here. And then when I graduated as an English major, I graduated in 2009, and it was sort of the tail end of really magazine and print publications, which were, you know, you sort of had to get an editorial assistant job, and there were only so many in New York City. And then on top of that, you know, digital was emerging, but it's not what it is now, where I feel like there are more opportunities. It's difficult because the opportunities are not as compensated, and I feel like there needs to be recalibration with that, but there are more opportunities to get bylines, but I graduated, I worked in advertising, and, like, was so bad at it, felt awkward, I'm not, I thought I wasn't great at my cor- at corporate America skills, which is just sort of a cliche to say, but even if I was doing a job that was, like, ostensibly creative, I would spend most of my time doing, like, media budgets, or, like, planning where the media goes, or very numbers-oriented, and I just wasn't inspired at all. And that's such a millennial thing to say, like, oh, I need to be inspired by my job. But, you know, I hung in there, and I was like, I'm going to go to grad school. And I ended up going to the new school, and I worked full-time in my advertising job, and I was getting my master's degree full-time, too. And I went in, and I was like, okay, I'm going to get a master's in, in literature. Because still, at that point, I was like, maybe I'll go on to become a professor, or my background has always been sort of in criticism. I'd worked as a reporter in high school and college, but, you know, I took one creative writing class in college, and I don't think, I, I don't know that I had the confidence to be a good creative writer at that point. It's funny because now, like, I've sort of moved into sort of nonfiction narrative, but during my time at, in school, at the new school, I ended up graduating almost with an MFA, and just being around people who were like, I'm a philosopher of Greek antiquity. Uh, and I was like, okay, if you're a philosopher of Greek antiquity, like, I can be a writer. But, you know, <laughs> it wasn't, like, it was just encouraging that people are pursuing their dreams. And I was like, why am I not really pursuing mine? Because 
at the end of the day, it could be terrifying to be like, I'm going to leave this career that even though I'm, I'm pretty sure I would have been destined to become like an alcoholic middle manager, miserable in my life. Because I just, I really liked to write. And when I was in school, I felt that that part of me was being satiated. You know, even though it wasn't, I wasn't being like published anywhere, I was doing what I love to do. And I was getting, you know, you had an audience. I had, I had my classmates, I had amazing professors. Grad school, I got a job position at Audible, which like, or working for Audible. I was an agency representing Audible. And they were all, and it was like, oh, this is perfect. You know, you can use your like English literature skills. But like, spoiler alert, obviously that's not what pans out. I think that, I think it's hard unless, if you want to be a writer, I don't know. It's hard to get a job that's like, you're like, oh, this is somewhat creative, but like at the end of the day, you don't want to be doing marketing writing. You know, if you want to, I feel like the only way to do it is to do it. And I turned 30 and I was walking to work one morning and I remember just being like, I don't care. You know, I thought like I was making enough money to keep my like Soho apartment to travel every weekend. And I was just like, I can remove, I, if I don't do try this now, I won't. I had written a book in grad school, which like I'm still revising and like working on. And part of the reason I'm still doing that is because I literally quit my job being like, I'm going to sell this book. I'm going to, and then I'm going to move to Paris or buy a Jeep Wrangler. Literally the delusion, like, <laughs> you need to have delusion. Like, I, like, gave up my apartment. And then when I was, I was working with an agent, it was the second round of edits. And I'd been living in this book, like, swimming in this book for two years. And then it was like, okay, now I've got this time. I should pitch, you know, I should, I should pitch and try to get my, more bylines because that helps you as a, as a writer anyway. Excuse me, or like if you have a book out. I don't know, like I would get some assignments and the first and the first couple of assignments I got, like to be a writer you just have to write. And it sort of started snowballing in a way where it was like I'd always wanted to write about travel, but I found travel to be very difficult to break into at first. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because a lot of people do want to write about travel. And so to go back to your first question, like did you want to become a traveler or a writer? There are far easier ways to become a traveler than to be a travel writer. One, if people are interested in becoming travelers, honestly, I would say look into tourism bureaus and travel PR because I, didn't, I wasn't even aware of that career until I started working as a journalist. And I'm like, oh, this is very cool. You know what I mean? Because you got to work on something you care about. To be a travel writer, you have to really love to write. And I think that what will set you out and what will give you opportunities as a journalist, as a travel journalist, is the stories. Like, stories are your calling card. This is such a weird analogy. I've never thought about it until now. But I was, I ran track at points miserably in high school. Actually, I was good for a minute, but then you know, whatever. <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't keep it up. Your time was the final absolute. And that's how I would compare being a, a writer and a particular travel writer. Like, you've got your story on Kenya, and that stands for itself. So, mm-hmm. move, and that's exciting. And it also makes it so it's really rewarding. The first time I got a story published, I started out and I got some pieces in Pop Sugar and Elite Daily, which I was really excited about. Pop Sugar, I wrote about the Amal Foundation, which is this NGO that provides scholarships for Syrian refugees. I remember when that went up, I was just like, I felt so immensely satisfied. And then I got the story in the week. Moving on, like in my career now, I've written Architectural Digest, Forbes, Business Insider. I've seen writers act like they're above certain publications and even aspiring writers. Oh, well, that's it should be easy to write for them. Just because it's aimed at millennial women doesn't mean it's dumb. And don't wait until the New Yorker commissions you for, like, daily shouts care about what you're writing because it lives on in, perpe- like, forever on the internet. That's your calling card. As a freelancer, what was helpful is that I was never, and still I'm never, writing stories that I don't care about. Explain the lifestyle back then because were you saying, okay, I'm going to go take trips, 
and then I'm going to meet people and I'm going to write about these trips? Or were you writing anything at that point while you were traveling? Like, tell me a little bit about your lifestyle early on when you decided, you know what, I don't really want to be working for this ad agency anymore. Oh, yeah. It was hyper glamorous. I moved home and I was like, all right, because pretty much <laughs> it was you had two options here. If you take another corporate job that's going to begin somewhat in the marketing field. And I mean, I feel like the definition of, ins- what is the definition of insanity is trying the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. At that point, I was, this is just going to, I'm going to be miserable. My lease was up in June in New York City. I love New York. That's sort of my forever home. And I don't regret at all, really, that literally eight years or almost a decade I spent working in advertising because it allowed me to have a lifestyle that I think was really important. Like, I was out all the time. You know what I mean? I was living in New York City, and I developed this sort of friend base, a base for, like, my expanded social network that made it easier to leave for three months at a time to go to, like, Nepal. And then I don't have to worry about I don't know that I could have done that lifestyle at 22 without having that sort of home base to go back to. But I moved home. After I finished with the book drafts, which was like months, when I get into something with writing, it can be hard for me to do it on a 9 to 5 basis. I want to be like Hemingway wakes up at 4 a.m., writes at the cafe until 11 a.m. and then orders a cocktail. He's done for the day. But I can't always turn it on like that. (laughs) So when I was freelancing, I was... Based out of my um, family's house in New Jersey, which was close enough to New York, I would go in sometimes. I wasn't traveling at all. So I was looking for editors' calls to pitches. So an editor would be like, I'm looking for a story on dating, or I'm looking for a story on blah, blah, blah. And, you know, you respond to those calls. I would I created my own website, which is very important. And then, you know, it's, you feel like you're faking it till you're making it, but you're not. But the first time I sent an email, hi, I'm a New, I'm a New York-based freelance writer focusing on blah 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 you saying it and declaring what you are and just going for it that was the first hardest step for me when I was writing these freelance stories I'd be in and out of New York going back out to New Jersey and just burrowing down in these stories I started to also do travel articles for Hudson Sutler and Hashfly two of my friends um, luggage companies or luggage and outdoor companies and I would write these three or four of them a week and I mean I'm not gonna lie like at the beginning I wrote for pretty much for very little I think that that can also be daunting. The fiscal compensation came later, which I think is what happens. And I think it's something you always have to develop when you're your own business, essentially. But because I'd written all those travel stories and they were on my portfolio, people in the travel industry, if they, like, clicked on my name, say, I mean, I got discovered, essentially, to begin traveling by this story I wrote for Lee Daily about text message breakups, which I love. I actually love writing about dating. This business bureau in Hawaii saw it. They invited me to this lunch. I met... I didn't know how traveling worked professionally. I'd had enough stories where I thought I could just be a travel writer based on the stories I already had to share. Mm-hmm. My advice for writers who are starting out, and this is for all writers, not just travel writers, people will try to communicate how sophisticated and intelligent they are by acting like they've seen it all, they've done it all, and just sort of being a little bit like gruff or elitist. And number one, like, that doesn't work for you as, like, a traveler that imperils you, essentially. If you're going to, you know, literally rub people the wrong way, you're on their turf. But I just, like, would respond to every email I still do, I get every pitch I get. And the people who work in the tourism industries, with the airlines, with the hotels, they're going to be crucial to your career. So don't suddenly act like you're above it. I've gotten, you know, reached out to you about a trip in Orlando. And I didn't, you know, I didn't have interest in going to Orlando at that time. But, you know, I responded 
we started chatting and then I from there got like it's the heart of the Amazon rainforest you know a lot of it is showing your enthusiasm and for travel writing essentially when I started to get more stories placed about travel which happened after this Hawaii story it sort of snowballed because then people are seeing okay she she's written this about this and then you get more and more opportunities and mm -hmm. for some travel writers they really focus in on one area and they're like this is going to be my thing aside from the caribbean my i always sort of chase the stories that i was most passionate about and for me i discovered it's pretty much i want to go to the ends of the earth like i was supposed to go to antarctica last fall i couldn't go and i still dream about it but i want to go to the most remote places but also i want to tell the story of the I want to, like, meet people and make mm -hmm. friends and tell the story of the people that I met. And I always find that people are fundamentally, even though this political cycle is very challenging, my belief on that and being stuck at home. But I don't know. And everyone has a story that they want to tell. Like, mm -hmm. for me as a reporter, like, I'm always, I'm always curious about anyone's life all the time. I think that no one is boring. I think you just have to find out that one thing. You know what I mean? They're going to connect right. on. And people are as curious about you as you are about them. And so I started taking on stories and trips, and what I did was the stories I pitched, basically, like, I started freelancing from, and I, since I quit my job, this happened within, like, a year, which I know is rare, but I also feel like I hustled so much, and I wasn't discouraged very much, but I feel like if you really want to go for something, you sort of have to go all out for it. I got a, I got a um, contributor role at Britain Co., which is a millennial publication, where I was writing to them, like, three times a week, and... The stories I was writing were more narrative stories. So this is what's like to survive the most challenging hike in the Caribbean or like mm -hmm. the Great Wall of China. And a lot of travel stories can be quite dull. Make it fun. Like I just always think of or make it interesting. I think my background working as a newspaper reporter. So it's like, what's the headline? What's the first sentence? What's the hook? Reading a story is like listening to a song or watching a movie. If it's not engaging, you're going to stop. And right. the way that you're going to break out of the clutter of all of the travel stories on the internet and blog with blogging influencing is that you want it to be memorable you want it to be different you know it's not like 10 things not to do at Machu Picchu all travel writing is from your perspective as well I want to when I'm reading a story I want to feel like I want to feel like I was on that helicopter and I just touched down in the Himalayas and I'm looking at Mount Everest you know like I want to feel right. like I'm there right there's luxury everywhere Finding a way to like zero in on, for me at least, those once-in-a-lifetime experiences, which I've been mm -hmm. lucky to do and cover, that's where I feel like I've been able to really branch out. But I didn't get those opportunities, and I wasn't on those radars until, you know, the way I got on that radar was being, I think, easy to work with, but also the stories I'd already written. Right. Because people, when an editor is looking at my stuff, when anyone's looking at my stuff, they're going to read a story, and that's how they're going to decide whether or not to proceed with hiring me so right. exactly exactly and and what you write in one like you said can lead to other opportunities so it's all about how you present yourself people may not have the money to go to the Himalayas or go where you know to Italy or to wherever to to find these nuggets like how do they how do they do that? How do they get to these places that they want to go to and be able to pitch those ideas and find that, that nugget of information if they're just starting out their career? That's a great question. So I actually think that this, well, aside from it being a pandemic and everyone's stuck at home and like, I'm sure some people have picked up a skill. I'm not sure I have, but this is the perfect time if you've always wanted to be writing or even travel writing. You don't have to go far to get the story. And there are some editors and publications, like very high-end ones, that will prefer it if you're a local. So if you go, oh, well, you know, I'm based, and I, I love Oklahoma. I don't know why I'm saying, but, oh, I'm based in rural Oklahoma. I 
who's going to want to write about that? Now there's more emphasis than ever on domestic travel and uncovering different parts of the country that are interesting. And some, some publications also are less likely to accept international travel stories. So my advice would be, even if you haven't traveled much, I'm sure there's one experience that was meaningful to you. And finding a way to put, put that within a narrative, like for me, writing travel stories is always the story is the biggest thing. Do you know what I mean? For me, it's like a story about travel. It's not, you know, I have written stories that are about, more about, okay, here are the best trips to take. I'm, one of my favorite ones was like the bucket list trips for 2020, rest in peace traveling in 2020, but it was like the 10 most life-changing trips to take, and that was really about, okay, book this. So I focus on the places that you have been, and also look for a lot of travel publications have people who cover different regions. So say you're from Maryland, you could see who's covering Maryland for like different for different national publications. Like, but beyond that, and here's another thing that I think is really important: write for your local newspaper. That is how I got my start. I when I started pitching the week or or Elite Daily or Business Inside, whatever, I had bylines, and they were from the, um, my years as a reporter. And some of those stories, I really, I learned a lot, number one. You'll get really acquainted with deadlines and writing a good story in a way, you're going to be taught traditional journalism in a way that sometimes writers aren't really given as much guidance these days when editors will be more hands-off. If you start writing for your local paper a couple stories, they are going to get to know you as a writer, and you're like, okay, I actually want to cover this. Like, for me, in Morristown, New Jersey, they have the Morristown Festival of Books, and through that, like, I've been able to interview these most amazing authors and poets and get your start that way and then build your website i mean i'm talking about becoming a writer like obviously there are other ways you can become a blogger but my thing about cautioning against doing that is only because in order to get an audience to your blog you're gonna have to do like a lot of hustling social media it's it's, but if you get an if you get a story in a paper newspaper people are gonna read it you know what i mean like i still get emails i still write to these newspapers I think that that is the best way to start out as a journalist. And then when you pitch an editor, you can say, I'm a, I'm a California, whatever, journalist. You show your pitches and you share a link to your portfolio. It, you know, when you're just starting out, too, you send through relevant clips. Like, here are other things I've written. And I think that if, if you haven't traveled that much and you have a first-time experience, like I was on a trip in Europe with a friend of mine and it was his first time outside the country. You know, and that story was amazing. Like, you can use the fact that you haven't traveled as much to your advantage as well in your story angles. Yeah, this is like a, a gold mine of information. Um, I mean, it, it, if it really is because if you're listening to this on the Right Start podcast, I can't even imagine how much you should be writing down right now with, with what Catherine's saying because the tips are incredible. And then if you're listening to this on the Travel podcast, I, I love the idea that so many travelers are literally stuck at home wondering how they can start traveling again and forget that their own backyard is probably there's so much that they probably haven't i live in the hudson valley new york area i can i can can't even begin to tell you i've lived here my whole life how much i still haven't seen or how much i still haven't done and that that could actually feed my soul in in getting out and traveling and then writing about it or doing whatever I want to do with that information later. I, I think that, that that information that you just gave really helps both audiences. I'm actually going to gonna switch you over to one of my favorite topics because we've talked a lot about writing and one of my favorite topics and you know is is film and movies and television and a lot of your travel has been 
to film specific film locations that you visited of certain movies. I saw on your list you had Under the Tuscan Sun, which is like my yeah. favorite movie. Oh my god, I've seen I I can't even count how many times I've seen it anymore. Diane is an icon. Oh, it's it the, the and the movie I can recite word for word and it never gets old and it's always inspiring to me. And it was the the pictures of Tuscany in that movie that changed me as a person because up to that point I had heard of Tuscany but I never really thought yeah. too much about it and then when they showed some of the you know her going through the town and all that stuff I was like I sat here crying the first time I saw it I was like <laughs> I need to stand where she is I need to be where she is and that inspired me so talk a little bit about like the these films that you've seen and and have any any particular ones meant more to you when you got there and saw these locations? So Under the Tuscan Sun is a great one to bring up because what I think is amazing about, I mean, Italy, Italians live better. You go to Tuscany and you do feel, I mean, it is just as beautiful, more beautiful. I mean, I spent last fall or last spring travel hunting in Tuscany. I actually interviewed my travel hunter. He's like a legend. And yeah, you could, I feel like, I feel like landscape impacts perspectives and lifestyles, obviously lifestyles, but really it's like a way of mind, you know, and I think people are always, always say that, like, is it like Paris is a good idea or whatever is a great state of mind, but I do think it impacts you. I guess for me, for movies that I've seen, some of these are heavier than others, some of these are really light, but if you don't like Frozen, the original version, I haven't seen the second, you're insane. I went to, excuse me, I heard the second isn't very good. I, like, can't, I'm already, t I started thinking, like, Frozen, and I'm starting to talk and think, like, Olaf, but, so I went to, I went to Finnish Lapland in the Arctic, spectacular, mm -hmm. and, like, that literally does feel like the Frozen movie, in a way, come to life, endless snow and forests and these sort of rolling hills, spectacular place to go. A place that I went, and then I saw this movie afterwards, but I felt like it fully captured it, was I'd always really wanted to go to the Amazon Rainforest, and I took this trip to the Amazon Nature Tours, which was astounding. I mean, essentially, it's the heart of the, of the Amazon in Brazil. Brazil has the largest and most diverse like portion of the Amazon, and it was amazing because I, my guides were, and I think this is very important, like, my guides were um, all indigenous from the Amazon. Like, they, a lot of, like, the entire staff grew up in the Amazon. You know, and then a lot of people who grew up in the Amazon will move to Manaus. And so seeing it through their perspective and their stories and their eyes, and, I mean, the Amazon can almost be, it's, like, insane. You know, no Wi-Fi, no cell service. And during the day, it can almost be repetitive because it's just, like, forest. It looks like the Rio Negro is black. So when you're, when you're cruising on it, it just looks like trees reflected on trees. Mm -hmm. But at night... We would go out in this little, like, motorized canoe, and, I mean, the Amazon is so loud at night. So, during the day, it's so quiet because all the animals are napping, and you will hear, like, a monkey, like, you'll hear, like, a monkey dropping a fruit. But at night, all the animals have put on their best going out hops, and they're going out to the bar, and they're looking for a mate, and they're <laughs> screeching, and they're all looking to make out. And then, so, but then... So the small rats, the little rat in the Amazon, and I have an affinity for rats, I feel like I misunderstood, screeching, and then you look up, the sky, the stars in the sky are so bright, it looks like you're like in a planetarium, it's insane, and you could see a little gray cloud far up in the distance that represents like the nearest city of Manaus, which is so far away, and because the river is black, the stars are reflected on the river. So, mm -hmm. it, and you can't see the trees, so it just looks like you're, like, cruising through these stars. And it was just, like, a mat, it was a spiritual, it was amazing. I wrote about 
thought about that too, but then I watched this movie that I think is, I don't know how popular it is, it's called Embrace the Serpent, and it was created by um, filmmakers in South America, like, I think one of the filmmakers' families are from the Amazon, and just the way that that movie conveys life in the Amazon is, it's amazing, I really recommend people watch that. We went to the rainforest, and then you saw this movie. Has there been a movie that you saw first and then <laughs> said, I have to go? Every single thing. I've always been obsessed with um, Mount Everest. And not, unfortunately, not in, like, a Edmund Hillary, like, oh, I have to climb it because it's there. Right? But <laughs> there's just something so romantic and beautiful about it, and I think a mm-hmm. lot of people are. But so basically, like, watching the movie Into Thin Air... And all of the IMAX movies about Mount Everest over the years made Nepal like this place that I was like absolutely dying to go to. And I was able to go last fall. And I did this thing with Yeti Mountain home where I was able to take this helicopter. It's called Everest for breakfast. The helicopter goes right up the Kumbu Icefall as like literally as close as you can get. Essentially, if if anything had gone wrong with the helicopter, we would have died because you you can't access that part of the country you know then we went to another peak and had a champagne breakfast and looking at Mount Everest the movies I think all the movies about Mount Everest and the books even really they really do capture a lot of its majesty but seeing it in person is just insane the Himalayas are interesting because like right now I'm in Jacksonville Wyoming and I love it out here but it's a valley and then huge mountains which is its own drama the Himalayas I mean if Nepal if all of the vertical elevation of Nepal was flattened, I think Nepal would be one of the largest countries in the, I think, okay, this fact might not be true, one of the largest countries, though, at least in Asia, because it is so high, so when you're up on, when you're looking at Mount Everest, you're you're not looking at an eye level ever, but you're, you almost are, it's like just, and you just look around and just, it's insane, it's so beautiful, and Nepal is so amazing, because, you know, I was there, and I was like, oh my god, Mount Everest, but then I, I went with um, Tiger Tops, which is this amazing, it's like the first safari, it's the first ethical elephant safari also in Nepal. Then you go to the jungle in Nepal, and then, you know, and then I went up to the Happy House, which is where Edmund Hillary used to live, and Ang Chang is now however many generations of the Sherpa family who originally owned it, and I did this hike to Pikey Peak with um, Mountain Travel Nepal, and there was nobody, you saw nobody on the hike. Hiking in Nepal is very different than hiking in other places. I because unlike switchbacks, like that happened, like I did this amazing hike in Peru. It's my other favorite trip. You were literally going up, and I was like, "Oh man, I'm gonna die." You got to the top, and it's it's euphoric. And Nepal is such an amazing place. So that is a that is definitely. I think it's on a lot of people's bucket list because of movies and because of the film surrounding it. Wow. The other one is The Last Emperor about Beijing. Right. I went to the Forbidden City, and everyone's and this is a travel tip. They're like. You don't have enough time. Like, literally, I did China, and I had to leave China. This was a crazy... I was going right from China to, like, essentially to Kenya. I was going from, like, Beijing, Beijing, New York, Nairobi within, like, a day. It was crazy. I only had a couple hours, and I was like, I cannot be in Beijing and I and not see Tiananmen Square. Like, I have to go. And they're like, okay, well, you won't... You know, it's going to be too crowded. You won't get enough. I've been in China for a week. I love China. I mean, I had... I've really... I really the best food in the world, and also, like, I've found that I'm very connected with, like, all of our Chinese hosts that we met, because the culture there is very direct, and I can be, too, so I went, and, and I'm not someone who's, like, history, like, my dad can look at a rock in Rome and be like, oh, my God, Julius Caesar, like, God, if I was so-and-so here, I, I mean, I love Italy, but I had never felt, like, this connection with history so much as when I was in China, I walked into the Forbidden City, and I swear I could feel the weight 
registry there. Like, it was, obviously, it was crowded. I was able to weasel my way up to the front. It was amazing. That is a place that, like, I feel like, also, like, Disney movies had so much of, like, Mulan and stuff, which, like, obviously, on this country, it's around the new Mulan. China, from a true, from a, from a cultural and historical perspective, China was one of the most, like, changing trips. Like, and then, you know, people are like, oh, well, if I go to the Great Wall, I'm going to make sure I go to one of the really run-down preserved areas, like, Mutianya, where I went. They're like, oh, it's, like, Disney World. People like to say stuff like that, I think. You've never been, by the way. Because they like to, like, look like they're discerning. It's like what I said about the Lita's Traveler when, like, they don't really know. I went there. We went to the top and, like, I cried. <laughs> you know, I cried because mm-hmm. I was like, when will I ever be here again? So there are places, I think, when they're seared into the cultural history that can really, when you visit, it's really enlightening. This is ridiculous. But the Lion King, the light of, like, the Maasai Mara. The, I mean, Kenya and the Maasai Mara is this beautiful place I've ever been. Have you thought about approaching an editor and putting these experiences and these these stories together in a book about how travel can actually, you know, change your perception of, of things that you hear or see through movies and television and what it's really like being out there. I mean, have you thought about that? I don't know if that's something you would want to do, but just wondering. I wanted to do a book of essays that are sort of like the experiences I've been recounting to you just now and each chapter a different location. And I was going to try to like make it funny, make it, and yeah, like make it, I don't know. Like I turned, (laughs) I turned 30. A lot of my friends are getting married and having babies. And I was like, okay, I'm going to be, I'm going to be newly single and, travel the world for a couple of years and that's something a lot of people you know dream of doing and a lot of people somewhat do in other ways but the most interesting parts of the trips that I've taken like I feel like each country each place I've been to there is like a revelatory moment like that and I've written essays a lot of them you know what it's like to be an XYZ but I definitely want to compile them together at some point I definitely want to have a, a book of my travels out at some point I hope an editor out there is listening and reaches out to you because the stories you have told today are incredible. And I want to thank you so much for for spending so much time with me um, and and sharing your tips and your stories. And do me a favor, tell our listeners uh, where they can find you, how they can follow you like I do and learn what you're up to next. Of course, thank you so much. It's been so fun. You can follow me on Instagram at Katherine Parker Magyar. So just my name. You can also check out my website, which is www.katherineparkermagyar.com. I'm on Twitter as KPM1231. Catherine, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully one day I can have you on again after this quarantine has passed and you can tell us what you're up to again. And I, I'd love to have any time you want to come back on this show, you you are welcome. So thank you so much for, for doing this. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Catherine, thank you so much for being on the show. That was so much fun. And thank you all for listening to both the Real Travels podcast and the Right Start podcast. I'll limit my social media requests on this episode to just please follow me on Instagram at The Virgin Traveler and at The Right Start Podcast. I'll see you all next time.